You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. I like documentaries. I like documentaries a lot. This is a thing that makes my family sad because when we have family movie nights, I usually want to watch a documentary. They want to watch a Marvel movie or something. I especially like um, nature documentaries. I don't know if you're familiar with the Planet Earth series it puts out uh, by BBC. David Attenborough narrates them. I think they're awesome. I think they look amazing. I love seeing, it doesn't matter what kind. It doesn't matter if it's in the Himalayas. It doesn't matter if it's in the forest. It doesn't matter if it's in the desert. I like them all. I'm a boring person like that. But one of the scenes that strikes me, and you've probably seen a version of this um, either on social media or if you're into nature documentaries as well, is when you have an animal, a mother, that is pregnant and has been carrying her baby or babies for months, been taking care of them, taking care of herself, and it comes time to give birth to that baby. For whatever reason, in my mind, I have a giraffe. I have this mother giraffe that's in the plains of the Serengeti, and it's come time to give birth to her baby giraffe. So she finds a place that is safe, around trees, brush, whatever that is, and she bears her baby. And it gets gross, but the baby comes out, falls kind of on the dirt floor of the Serengeti, and that baby immediately starts trying to stand up, starts trying to walk. And for the mother, For that mother, she has a clock that starts ticking. As soon as that baby hits the ground, she knows that she needs to get that baby up and walking. Because what she knows that the baby does not yet know is that where they live, there's predators all around. She knows that there are lions that have maybe heard the birth of this baby, that maybe can smell the birth of this baby, and that are coming. They want to destroy. The book that we find ourselves in this morning is Colossians. And the Apostle Paul, the author of this book, has a similar mindset when he's writing to this church, this young church. This church is full of Christians that have just been born. They've just plopped out onto the ground of the Serengeti. And Paul knows that there are dangers that are coming. But the difference between the Christians in the church of Colossae and giraffes, that mother giraffe is only worried about their physical survival, their physical safety. Paul has in mind something much more important, their spiritual survival, their spiritual flourishing for the glory of God. We'll be in the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians is halfway through the New Testament. I oftentimes get it lost in the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians of Colossians, trying to remember where they are at. Maybe an easy way, G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company, if you're old enough to remember what that is. It's an easy way to remember. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there. Colossians will be spending our time in chapter 3 this morning. As you're turning there, you would think that Paul, as he is speaking to this church and wanting to warn them, wanting to give them basically a handbook on how do you survive, you would expect to see a list of do's and don'ts. Stay away from this. This is dangerous. Do this. This is going to keep you safe. But we don't find that here. 
We don't find a list of things to do. We don't find a list of dangerous things to stay away from. Because Paul knows that we are incapable of keeping ourselves spiritually safe in and of ourselves. We need Christ to do that for us. So his answer for us is our first point this morning, which is gaze upon Christ. He calls us to gaze upon Christ. Colossians chapter 3, let's read together verses 1 through 4 to begin with. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, spiritual survival is not something that we can accomplish through a list of do's and don'ts. Many have tried. Maybe you this morning have tried to make yourself right with God by things you do or things that you don't do. But every single person that has ever tried, except for Jesus Christ, has failed. And if you attempt to do the same thing, you will too. So Paul is telling us to gaze upon Christ. What does that mean? In these verses, verses 1 through 4, Paul tells us that if you are a Christian, you have died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, and you now live with Christ. What does it mean to die with Christ? What Paul is telling us is that we've died to the things of this world, the things that we used to live for, the things that we sought to bring us pleasure, whatever those were, were, They no longer have a hold on us. We are no longer slaves to them. We no longer must serve them. We are dead to this world, and we have freedom now in Christ. You are free of the world's control and condemnation. Whatever you were living for before Christ, if you are a Christian today, those things have no hold, no sway over you. Money, fame, reputation, relationships, sex, work, a sense of accomplishment, helping other people, pleasure, drugs, whatever it was, when we come to Christ, we die to those things. And we've been raised with Christ. We have new life in Christ. Everything is new now. Everything you felt you needed before to make you happy, it's dead. Everything that you thought you needed to be right with God is dead. Everything you pursued to give you pleasure only to find out it was just a fix that you just have to go, had to keep going back to again and again and again because it would never satisfy. Those things are dead. Your slavery to the opinions of others to give you a sense of worth, dead. It's all gone and it's all been replaced with Jesus Christ. Christ is your life as it tells us in verse four. Through him you have life, through him you live. He is your strength for today and your bright hope for tomorrow. For Christians, a common struggle when we hear these truths is honestly to believe it. Is Christ really that good? We hear the gospel. We hear, I'm a sinner. Okay, I can get on board with that. I need a savior. I don't want to go to hell. Heaven sounds better than hell. I'd rather go there. So I'll sign up for this. I'll sign up for this. But as far as Jesus replacing everything, Everything that I've ever enjoyed, everything that I've ever pursued, that's a bigger and harder pill to swallow. 
So a challenge can be for us what I call Christian FOMO. FOMO, most of you are probably familiar with this phrase, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out, and we struggle with this as Christians. But I would submit to you that if today you are like most Christians, and like me at times, if you are struggling with Christian FOMO, the reason is because you don't know your Savior well enough. You don't know Christ. You don't know how good he is. Christian FOMO is, at its core, idolatry. It's believing that something else or someone else can be more satisfying than Christ. And that is a lie every single time. Nothing measures up. Nothing compares. Christ is preeminent. Christ is glorious. Christ is more than anything that this world can offer. And the key to killing Christian FOMO is to soak yourselves in the truth of Christ, to know who he is. That's why Paul spends so much of chapter one in Colossians extolling the worthiness of Christ, telling us how great and wonderful he is. And that's why in verses one through four, he tells us to set our mind on him, to gaze upon him, because he really is worth it. We so often have this idea of the Christian life that it's just this long, hard slog. It's this emaciated existence of just saying no to everything fun in this world, because that's what we're supposed to do. Is that how you feel about your Christian walk this morning? Is it just a list of things that you have to stay away from, a list of things that you have to do because you know that's what's right? If you want to be a Christian, if you want a relationship with Christ, if you want a future in heaven, these are the things you just kind of have to do because that's what you signed up for. And you don't want the other people in church to think that you're not serious about your relationship with Christ. I am married to Nozomi Jude, as many of you know, which I love. One of the major key points about our relationship that just keeps it wonderful, is focusing on her. I don't get up in the morning thinking, I committed myself to Nozomi. That means that I said no to three and a half billion other females on this planet. And that is a bummer. But because I made this decision, because I committed myself to her, this is just what I have to do. I, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good guy. I don't want people to think that I'm not a good guy. So I'm just going to commit myself to her in those ways. That is not how I think about my relationship with Nozomi, and I hope that's not how you think about your relationship with your spouse. I think about my relationship with Nozomi, I love everything about her. I love spending time with her, I love the way she walks, I love her phrases, I love that she's into Dragon Ball Z, I love the music that she loves. Like, everything about Nozomi, I love. And because I'm so focused on her, because I so much enjoy my time with her, I. No offense, I don't care about the other three and a half billion females on the planet. They don't matter to me. Nozomi's it. This is how Christ should be to us. When he is our everything, when we understand him and his worthiness and his glory, the rest of the things, the temptations of this world that we may have a craving for, the color begins to fade out. The color begins to drain out. The flavor isn't there anymore. We're no longer drawn to it because Christ has captivated us. He is what we gaze upon. Gaze upon Christ, Christian. That is what Paul is calling us to. This is central to your flourishing as a Christian. This is central to your spiritual survival. Since we're talking about relationships, 
I'd like to just take a quick second and speak to the single Christian men in the room. The single Christian men in the room, as you are looking for a spouse, your goal is not to find a woman that your buddies will approve of. Your goal is not to find a woman that the world approves of. Your goal is not to find a woman that will get you more double taps on your socials. Your goal is to find a woman that God approves of. A good Christian woman that loves God and seeks to honor him with her life is a treasure. So I'm not advocating irresponsibility with your dating. Do that with counsel. Do that prayerfully. But if you find a good Christian woman, man, shoot your shot. (laughs) Like, stop worrying about what other people think. Stop worrying about what this is going to look like. Just do it. For the single ladies in the room, for the single Christian ladies in the room, do not compromise and do not lower standards. You want to find a man that God approves of. You want to find a man that is doing this in verses one through four, that is gazing upon Christ. Christ is everything to him. That is what you want. Now, I'm not saying wait until you find this like hybrid of Charles Spurgeon and Brad Pitt. If you... (laughs) If you're waiting for that, you're probably going to be waiting your entire life. But do not lower your standards because you get impatient. Look for someone that has God at the central of his life. So gaze upon Christ. This is our point number one, gaze upon Christ. As this mental change or this paradigm shift takes place for us, you'll see practical changes in your life as a result. Paul transitions us from verse 1 through 4, gazing upon Christ, into two major categories. He, he talks about putting off and putting on, or a list of things to kill and a list of things to nurture. And those are the two sections of Colossians 3 that we're going to get into now. Let's read together verses 5 through 11. Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. These are the things that we died to, that we talked about in verses 1 through 4. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Our second point this morning after gaze upon Christ is to kill what isn't Christ. I want to draw your attention to verse 5 to begin with. Just the first phrase, actually it's really the first four words of verse 5. Put to death, therefore. In those four words, I want you to notice two things. The therefore is what we're going to talk about first. Paul is following a logical progression. These aren't just kind of standalone truths that he's that he's giving us scattershot. He's following a logical progression of thought here. In verses one through four, he's telling us to gaze upon Christ. 
In verse 5, he uses this word, therefore, because as we gaze at Christ, these are the things we do because of that. We don't get that sequence switched around. Christ comes first, and that is what changes our behavior. The second thing that I want us to notice here at the first of verse 5 is to put to death. Put to death. And what Paul is telling us to put to death is what is earthly in you, the things that we used to live for, the sin that is in us. And he gives us lists there, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Later on, In verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. These are the things that we are to put away. What does it mean to put them to death? It doesn't mean that we try to stay away from them. It doesn't mean that we pick and choose which ones are right and which ones are wrong. It means we are to have a mercenary mindset about what is earthly in us. When you think of a mercenary, you think of someone that is cold and hard and calculating and effective. They have a mission and they execute it. They are seek and destroy. You can't imagine a soft mercenary. That doesn't make any sense. They would not be effective at all. Jesus told us that if our right eye offends us, we are to pluck it out. If our right hand offends us, we are to cut it off. If this sounds radical to you, it should. That was Jesus' intention. He was trying to get our attention and say, this is how serious we need to be about our sin. We are to put it to death. We are to be willing to cut off a hand to stay away from sin. Why is it such a serious thing? Why is sin such a serious thing? Look at verse six with me. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. When it says the wrath of God, that does not mean that these are things that God disapproves of. This does not mean that these are a list of things that God is like, man, I wish they wouldn't do that, but I get it. Temptation, they've got sin, like it's, it's, it's tough. No, the wrath of God is eternal punishment in hell. That's how serious our sin is. Hell is a real place, and judgment for sin is a real thing. The wages of sin is death, as Romans tells us. It is not something to be played with. As we gaze upon Christ, we begin to love the things that he loves. We also hate the things that he hates. We hate these things that are earthly. We want to put them away. We want to cut them out. We want to have the mercenary mindset when we come to sin. And the temptation can be to come to our own conclusions on how to live our life. We come to our own conclusions on what is right and what is wrong, what to keep and what not to keep. A lot of times we as Christians, we can snuggle up and get cozy with sins that we're comfortable with, sins that are easy to justify, sins that those that are around us do. This is the opposite of where we should be. We should not be friends with our sin. We need to be enemies of our sin. Seek and destroy. I'd like to ask you a question regarding our sin and regarding our attitude towards our sin. When is the last time that you were convicted of and repented of sin in your life? Was it yesterday? When was the last time you were convicted of your sin and repented of it? Last week? Two weeks ago? Can you remember a time? Can you remember the last time that you were convicted of sin that was in your life and repented of it? 
This should be a regular practice for us as Christians. If you believe that you're doing okay, you just, just don't have a lot of sin going on. You're living in a dream world. This is not true. Two resources that I recommend to you if this is where you find yourself. Number one, it is very simple. Read your Bible. If you want to know what sin is, read your Bible. If you want to know what God approves of and disapproves of, read your Bible. There is nothing more central to your growth as a Christian than regular time spent in God's word. Zero. There's nothing. I don't care what else you do. Be in your Bible. That is how we learn what God loves and what God hates. That is where we learn what is sin. That is where we learn how to live. Number two, recommended resources, just a couple books. One is called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. In this book, Jerry Bridges does a wonderful job of taking sins that we normally justify, the sins that we kind of get comfortable with. We just, eh, everybody else does these, I do these too. And he does an excellent job of exposing those for us and also teaching us how we should rightly think about them. Another resource is actually what we're going through um, as in our community groups here at Grace Church, which is a book called Gospel Treason by Brad Bigney. Excellent book. Our people have been loving it um, in an uncomfortable way. It exposes idols in your life. It talks about idolatry. There are so many idols that we have in our lives. I've, <laughs> I've had to repent and uh, confess sin at each one of our groups, I think, so far, just because every chapter is more sin that God is exposing, which is a good thing and uncomfortable at the same time, but that is what we should want. We desire for it to be changed into the image of Christ. We desire for God to expose more of that sin and to cut it out. We want to grow in Christ. Lastly, in this section, verses 5 through 11, I want us to look at verse 11. I want us to look at it because it kind of feels out of place. Put to death, therefore, we have this list of sins. We don't want to do this. It tells us not to lie. This all makes sense. But then we come to verse 11. Let's read that together. It says, here... There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What is Paul trying to tell us here? What does this have to do with what we just read? Paul is telling us here that when we see Christ, when we gaze upon Christ, and when our affections are changed towards him, it changes the way that we see everything, including the way that we see people. These are earthly distinctions that we're seeing here. Greek and Jew, for the Jewish people, that was, they're them, this is the chosen people, and everybody outside is Gentiles. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. For the barbarians or the Scythians, the slave and the free, the uncircumcised and the circumcised, we don't really measure people up in those ways anymore, but uh, we measure people up all the time. We judge people by how much money they make, by what they look like, by where they're from, by how they talk. There's all kinds of ways that we measure people up. That's the value system that we've come to use and has come to be normal for us. But what Paul is saying, when Christ becomes everything, Christ is the only thing that matters in those relationships. So when we come into a church building, when we're surrounded by Christians, we don't see people for what they give to us or what they offer on a worldly value system. We see Christ in them, and we love them because Christ is in them. 
I would also submit to you that this changes the way that we look at non-Christians. At non-Christians, we no longer see them for being whatever it is, however we used to look at them before coming to Christ. We just see them as needing Christ. We want to love them. We want to show love to them because love has been given to us. We see them through a new lens. I, like most of you, grew up in the United States. And growing up in the United States, I got used to using what is called the imperial system. The imperial system is how we measure most things in our daily lives. The imperial system uses inches and uses feet and uses yards and miles and cups and pints and a bunch of other things that are confusing and don't make any sense. But it, it, get, it becomes normal. That's just how we measure everything around us. My wife and I have spent a significant portion um, of our lives in Japan. And when moving over there, I'm doing the same things as I was doing here. It's a different country, but it's still people. You still eat, you still pump your ga- gas, you still go to restaurants, you still do basically the normal things. But how things were measured were completely different. Because people wanted to know how long something was. I was like, oh, it's about a foot long. They don't know what a foot is. So they wanted to know in centimeters. I have no idea how long a centimeter is. Or millimeters. Or I'm pumping my gas in liters. And I don't know why I'm pumping 60 liters into this tiny little car. It doesn't make any sense to me. The way that we were measuring everything had changed. That is what it is like for us as Christians. We see Christ in everything now. We no longer have the value system of the world. We no longer think the way the world thinks. Christ is how we measure everything. He is what we see. Our value system has changed. We've talked about what we are to put to death. Now let's talk about what we are to nurture. Let's talk about what we are to put on. So our first point was gaze upon Christ. Our second point was kill what isn't Christ. And now our third point is where, what is Christ? Let's read verses 12 through 17 together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We read through verses 5 and 11, and I, I wanted to draw your attention to that first phrase, put to death therefore. I want to do the same thing here in verse 12. Let's look at the first phrase in verse 12 in this new section. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That first phrase, put on then, Paul is again reminding us that we're following a logical progression here. You gaze upon Christ because of your identity in Christ, because of who he is, what he's accomplished for you, These are the things you do because of that. Put on then. Then follows after. 
The other thing that Paul does not want us to miss is our identity in Christ, which he reminds us of here in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul is telling the Colossians that their identity in Christ is secure. That who they are does not matter. What they've done does not matter. How they feel today does not matter. That Christ has accomplished everything for them. Christ came for them. Christ died for them. Christ rose for them. Everything that they have, their eternal security, their identity, they are fellow heirs with Christ. They have been given love and forgiveness. They are holy and beloved by the God of the universe, chosen ones. That is who they are. He tells them that before he goes into this list of things to put on, to remind them that nothing can shake that. Nothing can shake who they are in Christ. They don't have to earn affirmation. They don't have to earn approval. That has been earned for them through Christ. Now let's look as Christians what we are to put on. When I was 14, I got my first part-time job. Um, I worked as a janitor, which was amazing. I worked as a janitor at Fox News Station in Indianapolis, Indiana. I worked two hours a night to clean second floor. This was my first job, which meant first money. Didn't make a ton of money. I think I made eight bucks an hour. And only working two, uh, two hours a day, I did not make a lot of money. But it was money, and more than I had before. I was also not very wise with my money. So I'd get paid every two weeks, and every check, I'd go in cash. I don't even think I had a bank account at the time. I would just take checks into the bank, I'd cash them, put in my wallet, and see how long they'd get. They would never last two weeks. Um, a thing that I really enjoyed then was clothes. I loved going to the mall, and I loved buying clothes. My parents loved me, they cared for me, they supplied everything that I needed, but there was a limit. They're like, mm, we'll spend this much, we'll get you good clothes, you don't need the Jordans. We'll get you good clothes, you don't need the Tommy. Which was okay. Um, so they would supply some money, and then if I wanted anything above and beyond that, that was on me. I needed to buy that with my own hard-earned money, which I was, I was fine to do. So back then, this is a long time ago now, I'm 37, so however many years ago that is, when I was 14, going to the mall back then, that was like where people still hung out, where you weren't worried about getting shot and stuff. Um, we went to the mall, and you're trying to find out who you are. Like, who do you identify with? As a 14-year-old, you're like, all right, what group am I going to be with? What is cool? What is not? What am I about? What am I not about? So the stores that you shopped in said something about you. The clothes that you wore said something about you. They do the same thing now. Walking around the store, okay, what, what is going to be my look? I found this store called Structure. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember Structure. Structure was basically the precursor to Express. I believe they were bought out by Express, if I remember correctly. But that was kind of the look that I thought was cool. That's where I was going to spend my money. That's what I wanted to identify with. So I went in there and I dropped money. Every two weeks, I just buy more clothes. That's all I spent money on. Um, I'd buy ridiculous things as well, only because they had that brand name on them. If they were from that store, I felt like, all right, identify with this. I want to wear this. This is what I'm about. I bought horrible things. One of, one of the worst things that I bought, uh, it was this short sleeve shirt that like closed in front with Velcro patches, which is awesome. And it was bright orange, like so orange, it looked like it was battery powered, like it was crazy bright. 
So I got this shirt. I was super excited about it because it came from the store I loved. Put it on the next day, was hanging out with my friends, and I got so much flack from my friends for that shirt. They told me I looked like I was an escapee from prison. Um, it, was, it was bad, it was bad. But that's what I wanted to identify with. That was what was important to me. So I dumped all my resources there. As Christians, it matters what we wear. I'm not talking about physical clothes. I'm not talking about what color of shirt you have on right now. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm talking about character-wise. What are the values that you wear? How do you present to other people? I'd like to look at two main points here in our section, verses 12 through 17. One is we are to wear love, not selfishness. Take a look with me at verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love, not selfishness. Jesus told us in Matthew 22, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. As Christians, it can get daunting. Like, all right, there's this, I have to do all these things. I have to be gentle, I have to be patient, I have to be kind, I have to be loving, I have to be forgiving. How am I gonna do all this? It's disorienting. At the same time, it's extremely simple. And that is what Jesus was explaining to us in Matthew 22. If we can love the Lord, our God, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, everything else will fall into place. Those are the two main things we need to focus on. If we love our God and we love our neighbor, we will be patient. We will be kind. We will be forgiving. Love, not selfishness, is what we are to wear as Christians. Secondly, we are be, to be driven by thankfulness, not a need of approval. Not a need of approval. Remember in verse 12, Paul reminds us that we are chosen ones, holy and beloved. Our identity and our approval is secure. So why are we to seek these things? Why are we to put on the clothing of a Christian? Humility, meekness, patience, love. We are driven by thankfulness for what he has accomplished for us. Look at verses 15 through 17 with me. At the end of 15, and be thankful. 16 says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness is our fuel. Thankfulness is what pushes us, not approval. The approval has been gained by Christ on our behalf. So as we're going about our Christian life, I want to give you some easy things to hold on to. I don't want to give you this massive list of things that you have to remember. Um, it's got 15 points. That's, that's difficult. I'm a simple man. I don't do very well when I have a lot of things to remember. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The other thing that I would encourage you to do, as we're looking at verse 17, it tells us whatever you do, so Paul is simplifying this for us. In anything you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when in doubt, when you can't figure out, is this something I should be doing? Is this something I should be staying away from? Is this God honoring? Is this not? That is the question you should be asking yourself. Does this glorify God? This is basically like looking in the mirror as you get dressed in the morning, and you're trying to figure out if your outfit works. Does this match? 
Do these colors go together? Do these patterns go together? Does this, do these shoes match with what I have going on? You're looking in the mirror, and you're asking yourself, does this match? Does this glorify God? Is it branded with Christ's logo, if you want to look at it that way? This activity, this action, the way I'm spending my time, the way I'm interacting with this person. Ask yourself, does this glorify God? Or is your attitude towards Christianity the same as the guy that gets up, looks in the mirror, as James says, and says, I'm okay. Throws his hands up and says, at least I'm not naked. Don't be that guy. We want to look into the mirror that is the word and we want to be changed. We want to be more Christ-like. So for you as a Christian this morning, rest in your status with God. Gaze upon Christ. He has supplied everything for you. He is worthy. He is worthy of your life. Throw away the Christian FOMO and hold on to God. Cultivate thankfulness because it is your fuel for service. And non-Christian in the room, if you are here and you identify as someone that, I'm here this morning, I'm good with listening, but as far as Christianity, I still haven't made up my mind. Is Christ really worth it? I'd encourage you, he is worth it. Stop seeking approval elsewhere. Stop trying to do it on your own. Find it in Christ. Christ has died for sinners. Repent and come to him for salvation this morning. Become one of his holy and beloved. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.